You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Centers, Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. Learn about the kingdom, that we can be kingdom people. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the revelation in advance. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Just before I re- re- start to re- kind of review what we've been going over the last few weeks, I really feel impressed to, uh, to read something from a couple lessons ago. You know, we've been in a couple series. We're teaching supernatural financial prosperity right now. But before that, we talked about spiritual warfare. And before that, we talked about uh, our spiritual makeup, who God has made us. Um, spiritually. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, now concerning the spiritual. Now I know in, in your New King James and your King, King James and Bible, it's going to say now concerning spiritual gifts. But you notice that the gifts is in italics. It's not part of the original text. It draws from verse 4. And tries to fill in to make it easier for the reader to understand. The problem is that it messes up what Paul said. Now concerning the spiritual. So we know here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we learned about this some time ago, that it's talking about things related to the kingdom of God. Things related to God's kingdom, the spiritual. Now concerning the spiritual, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul thought it important enough to let the church at Corinth know that matters relating to the kingdom of God, matters that are spiritual, this word pneumaticos, which is that word there, spirit, things relating to God's kingdom were so important that we should have knowledge about them, we, we should, have, should not be ignorant. We should have a gnosis, the Greek word for knowledge. We should, we should have that relating that. And many times as believers, we understand that from the standpoint of spiritual things. With regards to prayer. Yeah, pastor, we shouldn't be ignorant regarding prayer. Yes, pastor, we shouldn't be ignorant regarding the move of the Spirit. We shouldn't be ignorant about how the Holy Spirit moves, the operation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, um, we shouldn't be ignorant about these spiritual things. We shouldn't be ignorant about what's going to happen after we cease uh, our, our time here on earth. But, but that is not all of what it's talking about. Because we can go to Matthew chapter 6 and look at the Lord's Prayer and see that Jesus said, Our Father who is in heaven... Holy is your name, your kingdom. So now he's talking about the pneumaticos. He's talking about the spirit, thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So what we see here is that the things that we operate in as believers, as born-again, spirit-filled believers, the things that we operate in pertain to the kingdom of God. And that goes right along with the scripture that Pastor Thor shared and that I had shared in in John's writing, the Apostle John's writing, um, uh, 3 John 2, where it says, Beloved, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And we know that John is talking about 
this time, this life that we live in, he's not talking about the heavenly reign because there is no sickness. We don't have to worry about living in health in, in heaven. We don't have to worry about finances. We don't have to worry about prosperity in heaven. God has in heaven prepared for us mansions or places for us to dwell, and he has paved the streets with gold. He has uh, doorposts made out of solid pearl. And so there is no lack in heaven. God has no lack. And so we know here if John is saying this is his desire or his prayer for the church, for us as believers to prosper, be in health as our soul prospers. It's talking about our mind, our will, our emotions, the things that we know, the things that we've learned. We can see now that when, when Paul says now concerning the pneumaticos or now concerning the spirit, I don't want you to be ignorant that he's also talking about what we were talking about here, about supernatural financial prosperity. This is a spiritual dynamic of the kingdom. Historically, we know that, that, that um, greed, lust for power, has tried to stomp this out of sound biblical teaching. And the church has bought into it. Well, one of the reasons the church is bought into it is because the church was culpable in it. Because the leaders of the church during uh, 800, 7, 8, 900 A.D., during the Dark Ages and, and the, this, this transformation period, the only way they could figure out how to keep people in control was to keep them poor. And so they, they told them that, hey, look, though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Therefore, it's godly to be poor, so give up your wealth. Because they knew if they didn't have wealth, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, bring up an uprising. They couldn't uh, challenge anything. And it is actually a spirit of greed and a spirit of poverty that demands or preaches that the church, the believers, should be poor. Why? Because it's a, another way for the enemy to control. Remember in John 10.10 10, it says, The thief, or Satan, you can put it either way, cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, he wants to steal the wealth of the church. Why? Because if, if you don't have money, you can't impact this world. This world is not concerned about you because you don't have any money. Now, who's, who's in the news? Who are they concerned about? They're concerned about guys like Zuckerberg, and they're concerned about guys like, like Gates, and, and other people who have power and influence. Why? Because in the natural, if you have power and influence, you can control things. You can control markets. You can control systems of influence. You can control social thought. They're already talking about, you know, the elections in 2020, how some of these people who have developed and amassed mass power and mass money are going to be able to use it in the next election cycle to influence the election. One of these social media companies they were talking about has the, has the ability, because they've developed such a, a, a reach with no cost to them to influence one side of the political dynamic uh, by just sending out a message to their supporters, but not sending out a message to the other supporters by saying, hey, go vote, reminding their people in the millions to go vote, but keeping it silent on the other side. That's influence. Who should have that kind of influence? It should be the church. 
But corruption and greed get in because that's how the devil works. That's what's behind socialism. It's a corruption. Because in every socialistic society that that has ever uh, existed and, and, and flourished, at least temporarily, none of them last forever, flourished, the people with the money and the people with the power are all the people that are in control. They're all the politicians. But see, why would the church buy into that system? Well, you know the apostles, they had everything in common. Yeah, and if you study historically, you'll see what a disaster that was. What do you mean it was a disaster? Well, Ananias and Sapphira died. It's a disaster because eventually greed's going to get hold of somebody and they're going to try to figure out how to leverage it. Just for those of you who aren't really aware of it, Barnabas had given some land and it had been sold and the money all went in to support them. But Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, Barnabas got you know, a lot of praise and Barnabas you know, w- was noted for this. Not because that's not why Barnabas did it, but, but let us sell this land and then let's just tell them this is how much we got and make them think we're giving it all. But see, in that time, the Holy Spirit, it says, struck them dead. But the, the church has become so complacent in modern times that we'll allow anything into the modern churches. In fact, is there are some countries, you can't keep anything out. And they're trying that here in the United States. They, because they say if you don't comply with the social norms. They're trying to take away free speech. Why? Because the greatest gift God ever gave man was choice, and that choice comes with the ability to speak for life and death or in the power of your tongue. And so what we're talking about here, about supernatural financial prosperity, is extremely important because it is part of our spiritual makeup. But for so long, the church universally has put it off, has absolutely put it off. And said, no, we don't want to be greedy, therefore we'll, we don't want to be called uh, people of greed and, and covetous. And so we're going to walk away from money. And in so doing, we have allowed the devil to come in and steal from the church and to own the things that belong to God. So this is important. And that's why we've talked about these, these, these two systems. The, the, the system, the Babylonian financial system. A system that is built and designed to operate on debt. But it's important that we understand the kingdom system. It's a system that is designed on increase. God's system is about increase. God had no problem when he put Adam and Eve in in the Garden of Eden. He told them to, to be fruitful and multiply. He expected the garden to be able to increase as their family increased. And we see that in Psalms 115, 14. May the Lord increase you more and more, you and your children. God is a God of increase. God is about increase. So we need to understand this dynamic. But we must change our thinking. We have to be transformed from our worldly perception of how money works, how finances work, how prosperity works. Otherwise, even when you get some of it, you won't know what to do with it. The Bible says that it'll be like putting your money in a bag with holes. It'll all be gone before you know what to do with it. And we'll only know, and only do, we will only do what it is that we know. So we have to become transformed. We have to understand. We've got to change the way we think from worldly thinking, from the Babylonian system, into God thinking, into covenant-type thinking. Because God has no money issues. 
God doesn't have any money issues. He has no money issues with you. And if you'd been here, I think it was Thursday night, I had shared about the apostles from Mark 10. When Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I like to knock over all of his apostles. Why? Because they were broke, poor beggars? No, because they were all rich business people. They owned fishing businesses. They owned tax companies. I mean, these guys had money. And so when Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to get in the kingdom of God, it said they were greatly astonished and had to ask Jesus, well, who then can enter the kingdom of God? Because you just precluded us. So we have, to, we have to understand it. And Jesus went on to teach them what he, was, what he was talking about, which wasn't that you need to be poor. He was teaching that he doesn't want money to have hold of you. He wants you to have hold of money, but does not want money to have hold of you. Debt is robbing God's people and enslaving them. Debt is a new form of slavery. Now we'll go, oh, why not? Debt is a new form of slavery. Maybe this just popped up because Kellen, Kellen walked in, but for many who, who know my wife, you know, she's Native American, and, um, you know, we, we used to get these things called commodities. Anybody ever heard of commodities? Yeah. We were, we were told that if we would move down to the Nisqually Reservation, that we could get housing. You know, my wife and I had to have a, a discussion when we were very young. Now, I understand what happened historically. It's a, it's a tragedy, what, what happened to Native Americans. It really is. But you know, the worst, tra the worst travesty is that it hasn't stopped. Because what has happened is many of, of the tribes were enslaved through government subsidies. So my wife and I had to have that conversation when we were young married. And we decided we didn't want anything that, that the government, we didn't want tribal housing, we didn't want commodities, though uh, our mother-in-law gave us commodities from time to time. And praise the Lord, man, when your cupboards are bare, you're, you're glad for them. But we didn't want that to be our source of supply. Why? Because God should be our source of supply. And many of the tribes and the people in the tribes are still, in fact, that's what I love about Elson up on you know, the Navajo Reservation. He's transforming lives. He's transforming the way people think to what? To kingdom thinking. Away from this Babylonian system that's built on debt. You know, just, just yeah, give me, give me a little bit more. Give me what I have, I'm entitled to, this entitlement mentality. Give me, don't take that away. Give that to me. I had, I had a conversation with a pastor, and he said, well, you know, we work with so-and-so up on the Navajo Reservation, and, uh, you know, they've got a real issue with, with, you know, Brother Copeland and Brother Duplantis and Jerry Seville coming in and taking all that money off of the reservation. What, what, just, what jumped out of me is greed. See, they're concerned about what they can keep. That's not how the kingdom works. God's concerned about what you can give. What will you give? What will you give? Because the kingdom works by seed time and harvest, by sowing and reaping. And if we're always trying to keep it in, all we're doing is perpetuating the same. And now we're seeing it on the, in the inner cities. Look at, you know, they, 
how horrible the shootings were in Ohio and Texas. But do you know in a month's time, more people will be shot and murdered in the city of Chicago than what happened in those incidents? Where's the outrage about that? It has become the new prison of people. Poverty, government reliance has become slavery. And we need to get beyond that. Debt is robbing God's people and it is enslaving them. And it comes in all kinds of forms. And that's why I'm, I, I so appreciate many of the ministers who are working. My wife and I pastored on, on, on the edge of the Chehalis nation. To be able to bring a transforming message that there's something better than this. It hurt when young people would come to me and we'd go, Hey, you going to college? No, I'm going to go to work at the casino and I'll just get my substance from, from the tribe. That's, what, that, that's their vision, their goal. Bright young men and women who have the, the ability to impact this world not, and their tribes. But because of this debt, this Babylonian system held in a form of slavery. And then we learn that the kingdom is on the inside of us. God believes in legacy plans. The kingdom's on the inside of us. He wants us to develop legacies for our families. Because supernatural financial increase requires supernatural assistance from God. He wants us to develop legacy plans with the kingdom that's on the inside of us. Remember Ephesians chapter 3. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. A lot of people want to stop that verse there. But he said, according to the power that works in you. Luke 17, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is on the inside of you. And last week we talked about God wants us to use what he's already given us to receive what he's already prepared for us. He wants us to use what he's already given us so that we can receive what he's already prepared for us. Kingdom financial system. So let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 1 through 2. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Oh, Shandaboko A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditors are coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So here's a woman, and she's got a problem. She just lost her husband, so now she's a widow. But because of debt, the creditor was now coming to take her son as slaves to work off the debt. She's got a problem. So Elijah said to her, what should I do for you? Tell me, what do you have? in your house. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except for a little jar or flask or, uh, of oil. Elijah's basically saying, hey, hey, how is this my problem? I just prophesied and Israel overcame Moab in a great battle and deliverance. Your, son, your, your husband's gone, you've got a problem, the creditors are come, how is that my problem? I can imagine Elijah saying, show me the loan documents, I don't see where my name's signed on it. What do you want me to do? I didn't create this problem. 
But then he turns right back to her and says, what do you have? And we looked in the gospel. I, I just, I love this. Blind Bartimaeus. Everybody knows he's blind. He's crying out. Everybody's trying to get him to shut up, but he cries all the more. And Jesus comes up to Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do? I mean, you think about it. This is Jesus, right? The Son of God. He's anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've got a blind guy standing in front of you. I mean, wouldn't you think that he probably wants to receive his sight? I mean, Jesus was a smart man. What do you want me to do for you? Because Jesus realized something. Bartimaeus was a child of promise. God had already promised to take sickness away from the midst of him. What do you mean? Yeah, in Exodus. I will bless your food and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. The 91st Psalm. No plague will come near your dwelling. Jesus is like, what do you want me to do for you? You're a child of promise. But then Jesus had to find out what Bartimaeus had. He needed something to work with. He needed something to work with. So let me ask you this question. What skill, what asset, what source, what ability, what connection, what idea, what dream has God placed in you? Because, see, that's what God is looking for. What's in your house? What does he have to work with? What are you willing to give God to work with to move? And so much of Christian teaching is about what God's going to do to you. What God's going to do to you. But he's already put the kingdom on the inside of you. And if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it says that he has now come upon you. When you're born again, he came in you. The kingdom of God came in you. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it says he came upon them. He came upon you. You have everything that you need. And I know immediately your mind says, no, I don't. If I had everything I need, I would have taken care of it. If I had everything I need, I'd be able to make my car payment. The creditors wouldn't be come, coming to tow it away. If I had everything I need, I wouldn't be getting an eviction notice. If I had everything I need. But see, God has given you everything you need. This woman had everything she needed and, did, and didn't even know it. Because Elijah didn't say, stand back. I'm going to take care of this. It's not what he said. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have for me to work with? But see, what did she say? I have nothing. I mean, that was, her, that was the first words. How many of you, the first words that come out of your mouth when something happens is negativity, is death, is about what God can't do? I mean, I hear it all the time. Well, why don't you just go buy a new car? Well, I can't afford it. Well, who says you can't afford it? Oh, you did. God didn't say you can't afford it. Well, you don't know what my bank account is. No, but I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not telling you to write a bad check. I'm telling you to write a faith check inside your spirit and start using the things that God has given us. You know, just in the natural, most people have more money than they think they do. They do. 
You know how many times I've gone to people... I used to do um, foreclosure and short sale and all the complicated real estate stuff back in 2009, 10, 11, 12. And I would go to people's houses on behalf of the bank to try to work something out with them so that we didn't have to short sell their house, so the bank didn't have to foreclose on it. How many times I'd go in and they had a bigger television, flat screen television, than I owned. They had nicer cell phones than what I've got. They've got cooler rims on their vehicle than what I've got. But they can't make their mortgage payment. See, I don't know how many of you guys have read, and it's a secular book, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There is a truth inside of that book. And that is that many people are spending their fortune, their prosperity, their financial security, and the inheritance of their children on, what does he call them, doodads? I think he calls them doodads in the book. It's just things. Buying stuff. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to enjoy things. But at some point, we have to come to the realization that, and make, make choices of, of where we want to be. Because remember, good enough is not good enough. Satisfied is an enemy of God. See, the children of Israel could have been satisfied on the other side of the Jordan River. How do I know? They spent 40 years there. I mean, they could have been satisfied there. They'd already lived a couple generations on the other side of the Jordan River. And the 10 spies that 40 years before went into the promised land thought, hey, we are satisfied over here. There are giants in the land. I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to sacrifice to go in. I don't want to take the risk. I don't want to take the chance. And that's what keeps believers out of the promised land. God has a promised land for all of us. But we have to make choices. We have to make choices. Am I going to fund my 401k? Am I going to invest in real estate? Am I going to get ahead on my bills so I don't have to pay service fees and service charges? Or am I going to run my credit cards up buying the new 70 or 80 inch television? Or do I have to have the latest styles all the time and leverage it on credit cards? Well, remember, we, we looked, was it 70 or 75% of all people die in debt? And it's not because we don't make enough money. The poor in America are rich compared to the places I've been around the world. But we're playing Keeping Up with the Jones. Is that a Hank Williams song? Got a two-car garage and we're still building on. There comes a time when we have to realize that, that, that we have skills, that we have assets, we have sources, abilities, connections, ideas, and dreams that God has placed within our grasp, within our control. He has put things on the inside of you that he can work with. The widow said she had nothing except some oil. She had a flask, a pot, or a jar of oil. That's all I've got. But what is the prophet of God doing here? The prophet of God here, he was determining what he had to work with. See, and most of us don't take any time to figure out what it is that we have to work with. Why? Because we have scarcity and lack thinking. We get, a, we get a paycheck, we get an inheritance, and all of a sudden scarcity clicks in. And we start thinking about how this won't be enough. 
And since it's not enough, I might as well go buy this other thing that I wanted. Oh, it's not enough really to, to, to be anything meaningful for paying down my credit card, but boy, it'll be three or four extra Starbucks a week for a month or so. He was trying to determine what he had to work with. And before you go, well, that doesn't sound biblical. Jesus asked, how many fishes and loaves do we have to work with, boys? Moses needed something to work with, and God gave him a staff. Gave him Aaron to speak. For Noah, he gave him gopher word, pitch, tar. What do you have to work with? Here's Noah in a place that has never seen a flood before. Building a, a, a boat that has never been built before. What did he have to work with? He couldn't go down and find a local built boat builder and dock and, and plans and all that. But he took what he had to work with. Israel or Jacob had tree bark. Think about that. Here's a guy that was running from his brother. Ends up with, with Laban. Gets promised a wife. And gets hoodwinked on the wedding night. Works seven years for her. He doesn't have anything. But he cuts a deal. Cuts a deal. And God gives him the idea. Take tree bark. Strip it off those poplar trees. Lay it in the water troughs. And then when the, when the sheep and the goats come in to breed, they'll be seeing that. That's what will be before their eyes. That's why Jesus said, you know, the eye is the candle of the soul. If the eye is good, your body will be full of light. What you see has a, a, a profound effect upon you. And, and then the goats and the sheep started having babies that were the kind that Jacob got to keep. What's in your house? What's on the inside of you? What do you have to work with? Go with me over to Proverbs 24, 3, 4. See, somebody probably told you one time, it's e this is how the kingdom works. You put $10 in, God will give you 1000 back. You know, Brother John Abbasini uh, wrote a book on, kingdom, on finance. I don't even remember what the name was. But he wrote a second book called It's Not Working, Brother John. Because they got hold of part of the truth. They got hold of the sowing part. But because they didn't understand the reaping part of it, they were killing their seed in the ground. And, and we do it often in our churches. Because we think, well, it's just this easy. I just throw a $100 bill in, and certainly $10,000 coming back because I get the 100 fold because that's what the preacher said. Given it shall be given. But what happens when you scatter seed on bad ground? When there's no foundation, you get a very small harvest. And so it's, it's important that we understand this concept because I got tired of not seeing the results. But you know what? I knew it wasn't God's fault. It had to be something I was doing. He get, put the kingdom on the inside of me. He gave me the instructions. I had to find out wh why am I not operating in the supernatural? That's where my finances are supposed to be. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. I'm going to read from the Living Bible. It says here, any enterprise, an enterprise is any undertaking, typically one that is difficult or requires effort. So any enterprise, anything that you're doing that's difficult or requires uh, effort, it's built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. So here it is. The woman had a need. In the business world, we call that a why. Why are you doing what you're doing? 
What is driving you? What is, what is the force that is, that is driving you to succeed? Because if you don't have a why, you don't have a sustaining force. Because if the why isn't big, you will be on cruise control. You will be on, it's good enough. You'll be in the land of satisfied. The bigger the why, the bigger the opportunity for God. The bigger the why, the bigger opportunity there is for God. I mean, if, if your why in life is to win a thousand souls next year, you've got a big why. Well, you're going to need a big plan. If your goal next year is to earn a million dollars in income, you've got a big why. You're going to have to have a big plan. If your goal next year is to earn $100 on top of your Social Security income, you don't have a big why. You're satisfied. You're comfortable. She had to, she had to uh, evaluate the facts. She had to evaluate the facts. She, you know, hey, my husband is dead. We're deep in debt. My kids are about to be taken away, repossessed. I've got a problem here. She had to evaluate her facts. You have to evaluate the facts. Because some of us have made some mistakes that are going to have to be dealt with. I, I shared with you the story that Brother Keith Moore shared uh, a couple years ago about his truck. This nice new truck that he bought. And he'd been praying, God, you know, and they were struggling with their, their personal budget, you know. And, it was, he, and he kept, God, I, I, yeah, I just need more money. And, and God spoke to him and said, I didn't tell you to buy that truck. Now, God didn't mind him having the truck, but God didn't tell him to buy the truck. And a lot of times, we get out and do things that God didn't tell us to do. Why? Because they make us feel good. The Bible calls that the lust of other things. There's nothing wrong with having nice cars, Cadillacs, Mercedes, pickup trucks. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to make sure God is in it. Because now all of a sudden the blessing becomes a burden. And I'm sure that when they borrowed the money, it was a blessing. And now this lady's got a burden. She had to identify the facts. Then she had to use common sense. How did she use common sense? She got some advice, and she went to the very best she could find. She went to the prophet of God. Peter Daniels used to always say, if you want to be rich, find somebody who's rich and learn from them. Robert Kiyosaki says, hire the best coaches you can find because they've already paid the price. There was a time when I was spending almost, not quite, but almost $20,000 a year on, a, on coaching. You too, pa uh, Pastor Thor. You know, as a chiropractor, you're spending money on coaching. Why? Because other people had already spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars learning how to do it right. I didn't want to have to invent, reinvent the wheel. But I wanted to get the knowledge so that I could accelerate. And I could excel. And that's what she needed. She needed acceleration and increase in her life. She had a problem. So she went to the best. She went to Elijah. She went to the prophet of God. So I try to hire Christian coaches when I can. But you know what? If, you've, if you're going in for a brain operation, my suggestion is not find the closest Christian brain operator. You go find the best doctor you can find who paid the price to learn how to do it right and has success, and then ask God to anoint his hands while he's operating on you. See, sometimes as believers we think, Oh no, you know, we, we, we gotta be, we gotta stay here. Now, when you find both, it's good. 
That's why I hang around with guys like Dr. Bob Harrison. That's why I used to, to listen to, to Dr. Norville Hayes, Peter Daniels, Bill Swad. I mean, these are all guys who, were, who, who, who understood and had success in this area. I've never learned how to be successful from a poor person. I had a lot of them give me a lot of bad advice. Why? Because they've never proved anything. It's the story of David and Goliath. David couldn't wear Saul's armor because he hadn't proved it. I remember I was, uh, hang- I was in Florida with a doctor one time, and uh, he and I were going up to see a guy named, I don't know if anybody knows who Peter Lowe is, but we were going up to visit Peter up in Tampa. And uh, Peter at one time was putting on the Get Motivated seminars. Him and his wife Tamara started, launched that. It was one of the biggest seminar companies. Zig Ziglar spoke for him. You know, guys like Colin Powell, General Schwarzkopf, those kind of guys. This guy knew something. And we were going up to visit him, and somebody had come over to Ted's house while we were there. A young guy, he had never done anything. He was starting a business, getting going, and he said he had a great idea. He wanted to start a seminar company because he thought if he put, started a seminar company, he saw all the monies that guys like Anthony Robbins and these guys made. If he put on a, a, a seminar company, he could make tons of money. The only problem is ain't nobody showing up because the guy hasn't proved anything. I mean, I don't know about you, but when Zig Ziglar spoke and he was in my area, I wanted to go hear him. Why? Because he had proven that what he says works. Right? He had proven it. David hadn't proven Saul's armor, but what had David proven? He had proven his sling. And so we need to find coaches, people who, who can, can accelerate. And that's what you're doing here today. This is literally a coaching session. You know people pay thousands of dollars to go to sessions like this to learn the principles that we're teaching here at Valor Christian Center? Thousands of dollars. Now, they put fancy bows and ribbons on them and call them these extreme things and this and that, but they're teaching the same principles. So if you get hold of these principles and you apply them in your life, it will save you thousands of dollars that you can sow back into the kingdom of God as, you're, as you increase. So she cried out. She got the best coach she could get. She got the best consultant that she could find. She can consulted with God's anointing, with God's anointed. And then what happened? Elijah was inquiring of her because now came the time for wise planning. Wise planning. Elijah developed a plan, and she bought into it. He identified what there was there to work with. But you know what? This is where many people stop. I mean, I have met so many business people who they, they, they get the right people, they buy the right books, they listen to the right CDs and watch the right DVDs and, 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 and they get this and they put this together and they get all these ideas, they get all these plans, they get all this, this stuff together and then they stop. As if now all of a sudden increase is going to fall on them like ripe cherries off a tree. Now Bob, let me ask you, were you often, you own the long haul trucking business, I mean, you got that idea and you probably just went home, put your feet up and waited till the trucks rolled in and the checks showed up. Yeah, just like that. How many times, how hard is it is tarping and getting the loads and being the dispatcher and being the broker and dealing with insurance and dealing with claims and all those other things. See, what happens is, is the exercising of it, the, the execution now is the next step and people look at it and they go, I don't want to do that. 
How many people want to go into the care home at 3 o'clock in the morning because somebody didn't show up at their shift? Why? Because the why isn't big enough. This lady's losing her kid. She's got a big why. She wants to do whatever the prophet puts together. She is ready to go. She is highly motivated. She has got a big why in her life. But most people don't have a big why in their life. Most people just got, you know, some why. I'd like to have a little more. I'd like to be able to experience a little bit. They don't have a big pressing reason. This is a big pressing reason, folks. 18,000 ministers uncall themselves from the ministry every year. Do you think that they would do that if the, the churches they were in, if the ministries they, are, they were in were, were being financed because the people of God were operating in the king, kingdom's financial prosperity model and had the, the wealth to be able to give into every good work like it says in 2 Corinthians 9? No, they get wore out. They're tired. They, they're doing what they can. God's called them to do in ministry. And then what happens is they say, enough of this. I'm going to work at Walmart. You know, I'm done with this. I just want to get me a condo, pay the bills, and forget about it all. Why? Because somebody didn't execute. You know, the way God's... The way God's plan is set up, I don't have time to teach on this this morning. No, I don't have time to teach on this. I don't even have time to teach on that this morning. Um, praise the Lord. The way God's plan is, is set up, do you realize that? For every 11 people that are sitting in this congregation, there should be a pastor getting a paycheck. Well, what do you mean? That's the way God set it up. 12 tribes. One of the tribes was the Levites. They had no inheritance in the land. Their inheritance was in the tithes and offerings that came in. Actually, their inheritance was in the tithe. The offering was to build the buildings and, the, and pay for all the bills. The tithe was to go to the priests. Eleven tribes would all bring the 10% in, and then that would pay to support the Levites so that the Levites could focus on ministry. But see, obviously, we're... we're we're so far from that, that 18,000 ministers a year are uncalling themselves. Bible schools aren't training kids in how kingdom finances work. They think, it, they think that they're in ministry to get a job. They come out of seminary, they come out of their Bible colleges, and they're on fire, and they go to work in their local church, and, 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 and they want to find something in ministry that can pay them. But they're faced with the hard reality that they didn't learn how the kingdom financial system works. And most of them, I think the number from Barna was something like 5%. Can you imagine that? 5% of, of people who graduate with a Bible degree ever end up working full-time in ministry. Where are the other 95%? If they were operating in kingdom principles, they would be generating revenue that would be self-sustaining. I mean... I, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what the last 25 years has held for my wife and I. The last 25 years has been God providing for us through our businesses, through our, through our, through our opportunities. I can't wait to the day when somebody says, Pastor, here's your paycheck. I mean, I can't wait for that day. Why? Because it's going to be exciting after 25 years or 30 years or whatever it is, 26 years. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it'll just be exciting because it'll be new. But I didn't get into ministry full-time for paychecks. I don't need paychecks. I've got the kingdom financial principles. 
And those are what I'm going to operate on. And God shall supply all my wants according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So this is where many people stop because they're, with their wives too small, they're satisfied. They're in a comfort zone. Verse 3, 2 Kings 4, verse 3. So then Elijah said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. Well, let me, let me stop this one too. I've heard people say that, that God does not like borrowing. Now, God doesn't want you in debt, but you know what? Borrowing is not against God's word. Why? Because he wouldn't allow us to be in a transaction that was sinful or, or, or not approved by him on one side. He said he'd make us lenders, not borrowers, right? But he told this lady, become a borrower. She's like, that's what got me into this problem. He said, hey, go borrow from everywhere. Go borrow from everywhere. Got a plan. Borrowing without a plan is a bad idea. I know people that, that owe millions and millions and millions of dollars. But you know the nice thing about their program? They're not the ones paying it back. Their tenants are in real estate. They have the debt, but every month, the tenants are making the payments. And then at a certain point, they get a deed that says you don't have to make the payments anymore. So there is, there is good borrowing. They had a plan. He had a repayment plan. Elijah had a repayment plan. Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors. Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Get every one you can. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour, it into the, pour this oil that you have into the vessels and set aside the full ones. Now in the natural, what would you have said? I've only got one jar. I'm going to pour it into another jar and set aside the full ones. Come on, Elijah. No. See, she had God's vision. She had the idea, the understanding of the law of multiplication. She understood what, it, what brings water out of a rock, what brings manna from heaven. She understood that the prophet of God was God's conduit to her miracle. So he said, as they fill up, set them off to the side. So she had to act in faith. She had to pour the oil out. The kids had to get, they had to go gather up all the vessels they could. They had to do the work. What has Elijah done so far? He's provided the plan. He found out what she had. He helped her put a plan together. But she had to use the things that she had, and then she had to do the work. How many times have people come in for um, you know, counseling? Dr. Pat, you probably know, they come in for counseling... They tell you what their problem is, and they want you to do the work for them. That ain't the way it works. The kingdom of God is in the inside of you. Everything you need is on the inside of you. The prophet's job was to help get it out of her so that she could do the work she executed. Because see, our harvest lies in proper execution, whether it's giving, whether it's doing the work. You know, James 2.20, faith without works is dead. And then reassessing the plan to see how it's working. A lot of people don't reassess. And what happens is markets change on them. Greatest example of this, I'm going to close with this. Sears and Roebuck. Sears and Roebuck used to produce a catalog. Anybody remember the old Sears catalog? And when I was a kid, I'd take a piece of notebook paper and a pen, and I'd go through that, I'd write down everything I wanted for Christmas. The page numbers... 
the location. I'd, I'd, I'd bend the corners over so grandma and grandpa could find them easy. You know, I used to do that. They were the Amazon of the day. No company was better situated to become Amazon.com than Sears. They had a monopoly on, on catalog sales. You could buy car tires, you could buy clothing, you could buy tools, you could buy it all. And at that time, Craftsman was one of the best tools you could buy on the market. Sears had it all. But what happened? They didn't reassess where the market was going. If they had switched over and become the online sales source, we wouldn't be talking about Amazon today. We would be talking about how Sears is expanding their stores, not closing them. How Sears is buying more market share and buying up more competitors. But now Sears is just barely trying to hold on. Why? Because they did not properly reassess their plan. Kodak had the same problem when they went from Kodak film to the digital marketplace. And that can happen to us. God may have given you a plan 10, 15 years ago, and it worked 10 or 15 years ago. But now you're saying, you know, Lord, what is the problem? I'm not seeing the blessing. You're not prospering me like you were. Things are not as good. You haven't reassessed. You haven't taken a look at what you now have in your house. You haven't taken a look at, at, at how God can use you. We have to, to grab hold of God's principles. And so if you're coming here on Sunday morning just to fulfill a duty, you're here for the wrong, wrong reason. We're here about learning kingdom principles that we can take home and use. I want to get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your checkbook. I do. I want to see it increase. I want to see it prosper. I want to see it blessed. I want your money bag to be just like Jesus's, where a thief can be stealing it out and nobody even notice, because there's so much in there. There's so much in there. It's time that we, that we get hold of the principles, and we're going to continue to talk about this. We haven't even talked about, you know, most of the time when we talk about supernatural financial prosperity, we're talking about a giving and that. We're going to get there. We still got some other things to talk about. We're going to go to 1 Kings, and, and we're, going to, we're going to talk, uh, you know, about the, the uh, Zarephath woman, and, and we're going to go to Mark, and we're going to see how God uh, plans and delivers net-breaking miracles into people's lives. It's time we increase, church. It's time we experience the increase. We've lived way too long as, as a body of Christ below. It's time for us to live above. Amen? Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwab. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at 
That's info at ValorCC.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.